So, why is it that born-again people can pray and the heavens seem like brass? And why is it that we can pray and wait and wait and wait and nothing happens? Uh, Why is it that we have loved ones that are wayward or that are lost and we are waiting on God and praying to God and quite often nothing has taken place? In fact, it says in verse 2 here the reason why. God says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. And we can think, well, the problem's with God. No, it's not with God. It's not God's fault. The problem is with us. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Old Testament book of Isaiah in the 59th chapter. I was going to announce this past Sunday night what I was going to be dealing with, but I didn't quite know how to describe it. And I don't know how to describe it. But we're going to be talking about when we're the problem and it's not God's fault. When we're the problem, and it's not God's fault. And it's going to be a little two-parter. Here in Isaiah chapter 59, beginning in verse 1, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. As I read those two verses, it's so plain to me. It screams. It really says it's not God's fault. If there's static in the line, the problem's with us. And so we're going to be talking about that. It's not God's fault. Let's pray before we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for the opportunity to look into the Scriptures. Father, I believe that we are in the midst today of sincere Bible-believing Christians who want your hand on us, want your power in our lives. And Father, there are times when we pray for things, we wait on Thee, we long and we wish and we desire, and the answer doesn't come. At such times, it's tempting to put you on trial. Help us, dear Lord, not to. We know that Thou art perfect, Your ways are perfect, and Father, You desire what's best for us. And so when we see those delays, help us to step back, help us to look within, help us to analyze our own hearts and not your goodness. And Father, at such times, I just pray that you would show us what may be wrong. And Father, that we would make that correction, that spiritual correction as need be. We pray now and ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. There was uh, an expression used by Walt Kelly, I think was the name, back on Earth Day in 1970. He was talking about the problem, obviously, with the environment and such, and he said, we have met the uh, enemy, and it is us. And some of you have heard that expression before. We have met the enemy, and it is us. Well, he didn't come up with it. Actually, it goes back to a comic strip by the name of Pogo. How many of you remember the Pogo comic strip? Oh, a few old-timers here. The expression goes back to 1952. That's where it was actually used in a Pogo comic strip. We have met the enemy, and it is 
us. Now, how does that pertain to us as Christian people? Well, oftentimes we're going through valleys, dark times. We have adversity in our life. We pray, we, we hope, we wait, and, and yet the heavens are brass. We don't see the answer come. We wonder at such times if God is listening. Well, God is listening. So what's the problem? Well, we find out in our text here, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. We know that. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Here's the problem. God says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. There are examples of this in the Bible. In fact, I was just reading one recently. I am reading right now in 1 Samuel about the life of King Saul. If you're doing the Bible through in a year, you know I'm behind on my reading, so I've got to catch up. But Saul, of course, was a humble guy when, when he ascended to the throne, really even didn't want the job. Remember, when they were looking for him, he was hiding amongst the stuff. He didn't want to be crowned. He, he didn't want that inauguration thing. Uh, he was just kind of a son of a farmer at that time. But humble is the way he started, proud is the way he finished. And through the beginning to the end, we find out there are some major hiccups that take place. In fact, I was just reading today about the jealousy. The, the, the rage of a man is jealousy. And he's chasing David all over the countryside because of that song they were singing about David. You remember that? Saul slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. And Saul said, well, pff, what can he have more but the kingdom? So he was ticked. And he's chasing David and he's wasting time because he had really, really backslid. We find two occasions where he was told by God to do something. He doesn't do it. He doesn't wipe out the Amalekites. There's another time when he plays junior Levite and offers up a sacrifice when he shouldn't have been doing that. And so finally God pulls the rug out from under him and says, that's it. I I can't trust you anymore. I'm going to find a man after my own heart. Of course, that was King David. Well, time went on and, and Saul didn't get it. He's kind of a lame duck king at this point. He's kind of limping in to the end of his life. And he gets right down toward a a time, a critical, crucial time in his life when he really needed God. And he prayed, but God wasn't there. We read in 1 Samuel 28 and verse number 6 that when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams nor by Urim nor by prophets. He tried everything and heaven was quiet. Why? Well, Saul had really, I guess, put a wedge between him and God and had put that static in the line himself. He gets so desperate at this point, he goes and consults with a witch, and that's kind of like the end of his story. That's the final chapter. But what happened in Saul's life can happen in the life of any born-again Christian. And we can think, well, the problem's with God. No, it's not with God. It's not God's fault. The problem is with us. Now, here in our text, we find out that Israel was at a time in its history when it was not right with God. And, of course, there were people, Jewish people, uh, thinking, well, we're still God's chosen, we're a special people, God owes us one. And they weren't hearing God answer their prayers. They weren't seeing God bless their nation. And they were going, well, what's the problem? And with that as a backdrop, that's when God says, well, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. In other words... That word means shortened, that that word shortened means shriveled up or weakened. God's saying, my hand's not shriveled up, my hand's not weakened. He says, neither his ear heavy that it can not hear. You know, we find here that God's not deaf. That's not the problem either. When you and I have needs, when we have 
unsaved loved ones, when we have uh, financial decisions to make, when we need God's guidance, when we need his, his, his direction to light our path, and we don't have it, we need to back up and say, okay, there's an area here that is not right in my life because God wants to direct us. God wants to guide us. This is not the way God wants it. In fact, God doesn't lack the resources. That's not the problem. These are not too tough of times, though they are tough, aren't they? But that's not the problem. You say, well, these are the the last days. I know, but God's still on the throne. You say, but pastor, this is a tough area. It really is. No question about that. But that's not the problem. You say, well, pastor, we're, we're in a different dispensation. That's the problem. God doesn't speak from the heavens like he did anymore. We don't see those miracles anymore like they saw back in Bible times. It's a different dispensation. Well, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Hebrews 13.8. So it's not the times we are living in. And it's not that God's hand is shortened as we find in our text here. It's not shriveled up. It's not weak. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. He's, he's not deaf. There was a reason that when Saul prayed, God didn't answer. Not by Urim or Thummim or by prophet or any other way. The problem was with King Saul. There was a wedge between him and God. Now, God created us for intimate uh, relationships with us. He, he wants to have that personal relationship with us. I believe that's why he created man in the first place. And he put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and he, he's walking with them in the cool of the day. He's coming down. He's fellowshipping with them. He wanted that. Now, he was, he was totally sufficient within himself, and all eternity passed, but he wanted somebody to love and to love him in return, to reciprocate that love And so he makes mankind, and he fellowships with mankind, but mankind falls. We know what the story is there in the Garden of Eden. That's why we need salvation. Uh, That's why there's none righteous, no, not one, for as by one man's sin entered into the world, that's Adam, death by sin, that's, that's a Christless eternity, that's hell. And so death passed upon all men, us included, for that all have sin. So that's the condition we're born into this world, alienated and separated from God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to this earth. That's why he shed blood for us. That's why the cross bridged the gap between heaven and earth so that we could uh, be connected back to God, plugged back into God, if you will, and have that relationship with God. That's what salvation does. And if you are born again, you are qualified to have that relationship with God. So, why is it that born-again people can pray and the heavens seem like brass? And why is it that we can pray and wait and wait and wait and and nothing happens? Uh, Why is it that we have loved ones that are wayward or that are lost and we are waiting on God and praying to God and and quite often nothing has taken place? In fact, it says in verse 2 here the reason why. God says, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Picture God hiding his face, turning his back. Somehow, there's something in our lives at those times that is hiding the face of God from us. In fact, uh, you're so close. Just turn forward here a few chapters to the book of Jeremiah in the 18th chapter. And remember, our sins have hid his face from us from us. It is us. The problem is not God. We're the problem. It's not God's fault. And if God shows us his back, if God 
turns his face from us, it's time for us to say, all right, what's wrong in my life? In Jeremiah 18 and in verse number 17, it says, I will scatter them as with an east wind before the enemy. Notice this part. I will show them the back and not the face in the day of their calamity. You say, but if there's ever a time when we need God, it's in the day of our calamity. But this is what God's talking about. The Jewish people had things in their lives that were not right. And at the end of verse 17, God says, okay, I'm going to show them the back and not the face. Now, that's what happens when there's something not right in our lives. We get the cold shoulder, if you will. We get the back of God instead of seeing his face. Now, here's the problem. We live in a wicked world, don't we? We live in a bad society. The, the culture just embraces all this sin. And if we watch it long enough, we get desensitized to how bad it really is. You, you know, somebody put it this way. Here's us and here's the world, and, and we're kind of just following it down. And we're as far down as the world was back here. See what I'm saying? And it's, it's possible for that to happen. Born-again people are probably living worse today than, than great-grandpa and grandma and their standards back in the days of old. And so we get desensitized. And, and, and what we do is we say, well, we're not as bad as the world. And that's true. We, we're not as bad off when it comes to sin as the world is. But that's not the standard. It's so important for us to remember that. God is the standard, and God sets the standard. And we need to consider what God says. In Proverbs 24, 9, for example, it says the thought of foolishness is sin. doesn't say the act. Just thinking about it. We go, the, 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 the thought? Yep, the thought of foolishness is sin, even dwelling on it. That's God's standard. We read in Romans 14, verse 23, it says, For whatsoever is not of faith is what? Sin? Just because it wasn't of faith, it's wrong? Sure. There are all kinds of things that we just leap into, kind of just, you know, check the wind, and, and we just take the dive. It wasn't in faith. God says that's sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. We really need to back up and think about things before we go through with them. Was that a sin? Was that something we didn't do in faith? That's God's standard. Then we read in 1 John 5, verse 17, where it just sums it up, and it says, all unrighteousness is sin. Okay? All unrighteousness is sin. That's God's standard. So the world's not the standard, and as long as we're just staying above the world, we're not okay with God. All unrighteousness is sin. Sin is a transgression of the law, which is the Bible. Whatever this book says, we better be for it and with it and doing it, because if we're not on board, we're not right with God, all unrighteousness is sin. Now look, if you would, in the book of James. James chapter 4. Here's the bottom line. It's really a matter of accountability accountability. Do we know better? Are there things in our lives, and, and we know they shouldn't be there, or should there be things in our lives that we know should be there, and we just kind of uh, get used to living the way we're living, and oh what, no big deal, that kind of thing. No, if we know better, we're accountable for those things. You know, we find examples in the Bible where those, there are those who don't know better. If you've read the story of Naaman the leper, you remember that uh, well, it's a long story, and we'll get into it, but he got converted, I think. And he made an appeal to the prophet Elisha. He said, you know, when my master goes into the heathen temple, uh, i got to go in there with him. And he leans on me as he bows down to the false god. Well, what am I going to do? Remember what the prophet says? Go in peace. Don't worry about it. Now, 
I couldn't ask that. I've been saved too long. I know better. I would have to take a stand. But it really does show you that God is very practical. And for those who are kind of new in the faith or they haven't as much light as us, you know, they're not as accountable. Now, you flip that over and you take the Jewish people who were in Egyptian bondage for years, and all of a sudden, they're seeing one miracle after another. I mean, there's frogs, there's lice, there's darkness, there's all this stuff. Finally, the Red Sea party is like, oh, okay, God is real. In fact, He's following us right here, this, this cloudy pillar, this, this fire. I mean, if, of all people, they should have known better than to not make a golden calf, right? And, and their judgment was very severe. Now, here's the principle in, in John, uh, James 4, and in verse number 17... It says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now we're laying a foundation here. To those of us, and I say us, there's a a number in here, and we've been saved for years and years. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We're going to be talking about some of those very things later on. King Saul knew better than to be doing what he was doing. Oh, he made excuses, didn't he? Did God buy them? No. Samuel didn't even buy them. Because he knew better. And that's the bottom line. Now, the reason we don't get our prayers answered is real simple. In John 9, 31, it says, Now we know that God heareth not sinners. But if any man be a worshiper of God, notice, and doeth his will, him he heareth. So let's not blame God. Uh, Let's not stop praying. Let's look within. Because we know that God heareth not sinners. If, if, if our prayers aren't being answered, and by the way, we attribute that to lost people, but it works for saved people as well. God heareth not sinners. If we regard iniquity in our hearts, Psalm 66, the Lord will not hear us. It says, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So the big question is, why no victory? Why no answered prayers? Why are the heavens brass? I'm talking to what I believe are very sincere Christians. In fact, you know, there are parts of this country where Bible Christianity has almost become a cultural thing, kind of the good old boy, you know, religion thing. And and, uh, yeah, you, you show up in church, you look nice, but you go out and you live like the devil. What I like about people in this area is what you see is what you get. And I believe that this church is full of sincere people. And the Bible has something to say about sincerity. In fact, Hezekiah, I believe, was a sincere king. And when he heard he was going to die, he said, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. You know that word perfect there? You know what it means? Sincere. Now, we're not perfect. We know that. And God's not looking for perfection, but God is looking for sincerity. I believe I stand before some sincere people who really want to have their prayers answered who really want to have a walk with God. You know, I've been reading Joshua also recently. In Joshua 24, 14, it says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. And so we want to serve the Lord sincerely. And I believe for the most part, this audience is very, very sincere. So with that as a backdrop, Let's talk about a number of things that might be put in that static in the line and reasons why we're not getting our prayers answered and reasons why we're not growing and going forward and gaining victories and and why there's something between us and God, if you will. 
You're in James chapter 4 here. Let me give you a, a few thoughts, a few reasons. This is line upon line, precept upon precept. Here's the first one. James 4 and verse 3 says, Ye ask and receive not. Why? Because ye ask amiss. Why? That ye may consume it upon your own lusts. I think we understand that verse. It doesn't need a whole lot of expositing here. We are praying wrong quite often. We are praying materialistically, maybe greedily, temporarily, not eternally. We're not praying for eternal things, bottom line. And uh, we're preoccupied with the temporal. And so he says again in verse 3, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss. Why? That ye may consume it upon your own lusts. A lot of times, the things we ask for are not the will of God at all. Now, the Bible says, Delight thyself in the Lord, he shall give thee the desires of your heart. And, and we hear that verse, and, it, and to us it means, Oh, if I pray, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is, he's going to give me the desires of my heart. Now, I've talked about this before. What it's talking about there, when we delight ourselves in the Lord and him giving us the desires of our heart, what it's saying is God gives us the right desires. He sanctifies our desires. So now what we're praying for equals what He wants us to have, and yeah, we're going to see it come to pass. Have you ever prayed for something that wasn't God's will at all? I have. May may have even been recently, as recently as this week. And and so we pray amiss, and we don't see the answer come because we're praying for the wrong things. Secondly, there's a reason we're not seeing blessings, and that is our intentions aren't right. Our intentions aren't right. What we should want we should want for God's glory. It's really that simple. Will this bring glory to God? Can I find a reason to to have this or to sell this or to get this or to work here or to live there and it's going to glorify God? That is why we ought to want what we want. Not for our ease, not for our comfort. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether ye therefore eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That whatsoever you do really sums it all up, doesn't it? It doesn't matter what it is. Will this glorify God? It's hard to remember that, isn't it? I know I've been guilty of, of getting into stuff that wasn't for God's glory. And that's when, when the, the static can be in the line. And that's when we can short-circuit the answered prayers. Will this glorify God? That ought to be our intention. There's a third thing that really keeps us from getting answered prayers, and that is our attitude. Our attitude. You know, we ought to get up every morning and just say, what is my attitude like? You know, when, when our attitude stinks, others notice it and we don't. We, we've had a few Bible college students, by the way. Your attitude stinks. I, I hope you know that. And I'm not talking to all of you, but the staff sees it. And, and don't expect things from God. Uh, we've had church members over the years. Their attitude stinks. It really does. And don't expect anything from God. That is not sincerity. That is inwardness. That is meism. That is wrong. God help us to have good attitudes. And, and when we have negative ones, when we have rotten ones, we're not going to see God bless. In fact, if we are divisive, that's just another way of being proud. If we go around with a bad attitude, we're saying, I'm somebody. It's all about me. Uh, the whole world's wrong and I'm right. It all revolves around me. God help us. That is pride. And uh, when we don't cooperate, if we are merry, merry, quite contrary, or whatever it might be, don't expect God to bless. We need cooperation. 
And we get this attitude, I, I deserve more, or I deserve better. No. Bible says when we've done all that we can, we're to say we're unprofitable servants, having only done that which is our what? Duty to do. We have a duty. We're no big deal. We're down here to get a job done, and so let's die to self. It's not about us. God help us to get a good attitude. Now, there's a fourth thing that'll cause static in the line, and, and that is larceny. Larceny. It's overlooked. It really is. It's something we don't catch. We, we do these little things, and they're shady, and they're not right. And, and uh, you know, I heard a story about a preacher who... Uh, his boys came home with a dog. It was an all-black dog except for a few white furs back by the, the tail. And, and they said, oh, Dad, can we keep him? And, and Dad said, well, nobody claims him you can. Well, somebody, it was a woman just a few blocks over, heard about the preacher having that dog, and uh, she came to identify it. She was on her way, and the person told them that uh, she's on her way, and she knows that, that uh, you have her dog because of the, the white hairs in the tail. And before she got there, the preacher took and clipped the white hairs off the tail. And when the woman got there, she couldn't identify it as her dog. She, I mean, the dog acted like it was hers, but were those white hairs? And so she left kind of dejected. And the, the, the dad kept the dog, but he lost his boys. Larceny. God help us to be honest. God help us to be real. God help us to be genuine. God help us to ditch the facade and the mask and all that stuff. God is not going to bless us if we have that stuff in there. You know, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. We've heard that expression. It comes from the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. Take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. It is those little things that cause so much damage. A little bit of larceny, a little bit of shadiness. Have you ever had a red squirrel get into your attic? or your garage, or I'm talking especially a red squirrel. If we see a red squirrel out at our place, I'm telling you, we go after it. Because they are so destructive. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Just a little bit of dishonesty. Just stretching a coffee break a little longer than it's supposed to be taken. Or a lunch hour that is not supposed to be that long. Or padding the hours. Or even dogging it at work. And not working your hardest and doing your best. And having a hireling mentality, that's wrong. It's larceny. Now, there's a fifth thing that will really cause static in the line, and, and that's living a double life. Hypocrisy, that's what we call it, plain and simple. You know, doing stuff that nobody knows and then acting like everything's okay in public. As long as the image is good, as long as we look good publicly, everything's okay. And so there's stuff that's going on behind the scenes. Surfing in the wrong places. And I'm not talking about the beach, am I? Getting on websites that you shouldn't and I shouldn't be on. Uh, internet we shouldn't be on. And I've said many times, if the internet and the computer is something that a Christian cannot control, they either need to get rid of it or they need to get some kind of a guardian on it and accountability to somebody else because that's the kind of stuff that will quench the power of God in our lives. Having stuff there that shouldn't be there. Young and old, really, it doesn't matter. We're all vulnerable. And nobody's out of the woods. We might think, well, I'm beyond that, that stage. No. Look in Second Peter chapter 2, if you would. And, and what happens is, is back to the thought life, talking about that, and, uh, and thinking things we shouldn't be thinking, which we'll talk about here in a second. Second Peter 2, and in verse number 14, it mentions having eyes full 
of adultery. Eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin. It doesn't say committing the act of adultery. But we know what Christ said about adultery. It speaks here of having eyes full of adultery, committing adultery with our eyes. You know, we can't, we can't practice looking at stuff we shouldn't be looking at and expect God to bless us and answer our prayers. That may be an area that, that requires some cleaning up. Which brings me to the sixth thing, and that is a wrong thought life. Maybe uh, stinking thinking, where we're just grilling somebody in our mind, or growing, going around thinking of, of uh, raunchy stuff, wrong stuff, gray stuff, below the scum line stuff. We read in Genesis 6-5 that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. This is talking about just before the flood, just before the, the hammer fell. And it's not saying they were doing wrong stuff, though I'm sure they were. It says God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Again, God looks at the heart. And the, the heart needs to be right with God. In Proverbs 23 and verse 7, it says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. If it's only in the thought process, that wedge is still being driven between us and God. And it's keeping us from being blessed of God. In fact, in Proverbs 6, verse 16 and 18, it says, These six things doth the Lord hate, and then it lists, an heart that deviseth Wicked imaginations. It doesn't say a, a, a person that does wicked stuff, but in the heart, just devising wicked imaginations. Thinking wrong things will cause us from being blessed from God. And if we're not seeing the blessings of God on our lives, it's not God's fault. The problem is with us. Now, there's a seventh thing, and that is harboring bitterness. Harboring bitterness. If we are bitter toward anyone, by the way, I have to check myself out continually. Is there anyone I'm harboring any bitterness toward because it's a form of unforgiveness? That means we are still holding them over a barrel. If you have somebody that, I mean, they just come to mind, then they're still on trial. They're still over the barrel. You still haven't forgiven them. And you cannot expect God to bless you. And I cannot expect God to bless me. Harboring bitterness, it spoils everything. Might as well forget seeing answered prayer, seeing God bless us, if we're harboring any form of bitterness. Have you ever noticed that uh, in a given church service, the gospel can be preached, and one person will come under conviction, walk the aisle and get saved. Another person will get up offended and walk out. I've seen it happen. Why is it? Why does the heart react so differently? Well, in the same way, you can get two born-again people that encounter a heartache, a similar heartache, and one will, get, one will get sweeter and better, and the other will get cynical and bitter. What's the difference? It's not the scenario. It's not the situation. But the way they reacted to it. You get me? How do we react to uh, wrongdoings toward us? To somebody stabbing us in the back and, and dumping on us? Or something that went wrong? The attitude, the condition of the heart really has everything to do with it. We read in Proverbs 4.23, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. You know, the bottom line is, if something goes wrong and we get bitter about it, here's the problem. We're not trusting God. Because God is like a goalie who allows that stuff past Him into the net, into our lives, if you will, and nothing gets past God unless 
He allows it. And so, and I was just telling the guys in Bible college this a, a week ago. We were having a staff meeting, and we were talking about counseling. And I said, really, the crux of counseling is people learning to trust God with whatever happens in their life. Those hardships, those setbacks, are we trusting God with them? Because we will either get sweeter and better through them or we'll get cynical and bitter as a result with them. Well, by way of review, what have we talked about so far? If, if they're static in the line, number one, are we asking amiss? Number two, are our intentions wrong? Thirdly, is our attitude wrong? Fourthly, is there larceny in our life? Are we shady? Number five, are we living a double life? Number six, bad thought life. Number seven, harboring biz, uh, bitterness. Number eight, gossip. Gossip. God says your sins have separated between you and me, and I've hid my face from you. Gossip is telling people about stuff that's none of their business. None of their business. And it also is something that puts people, the one you're talking about, in a bad light. It is talking to somebody about something that's none of their business, and in the process, poisoning their mind about this person. I was around someone here a few weeks ago, and and I got kind of a tight response. I'll just put it that way. And I thought to myself, I know who they've been around. That is the result of gossip. Gossip will do that. You know, there are some things that just don't need to be repeated. I mentioned King Saul a moment ago. You know that final battle he had where he died at the hands of the Philistines, and they, they killed Jonathan and the other boys as well, and they took them, and they, they took the, the, the corpses, and they spiked their bodies to the wall of Bashan, and it was just an, a horrible thing that took place in Israel's history that day. And word got back to David. Remember what David said? He said, publish it not. Publish it not. Don't even repeat this. There are some things we ought to just say, This doesn't need to be repeated. This stays here. I will publish it not. Because if we do repeat that stuff, we are forfeiting God's blessings on our lives. And we don't want that. Again, I believe we're sincere people. But but gossip has become the the favorite indoor pastime of born-again Christians, unfortunately. And it's really choking the power of God out of a lot of our churches. It is. Well, there's a ninth thing that is not God's fault. We're the problem. And it's a critical spirit. Boy, I'll tell you, this is one that sneaks up on Christian people. And they just don't see it within themselves. But they have this FBI spirit. You you have to kind of work around them. Boy, what are they going to find wrong here? Kind of eggshell, kind of tiptoeing around them kind of people. And boy, you know, they're there within the realm of born-again Christianity. People with a critical spirit. And you know what? God hates that. He really does. That critical spirit. Do I have a critical spirit? Do I filter everything and screen everything and and funnel everything through this critical eye? Do you? Are you one of those people where, oh boy, now what are they going to say? What are they going to think? You know, others have to worry about that because we have a critical spirit. Sometimes it's, uh, it's really too strong of a sense of justice. That's what it is. There are some people, you know, and, and mercy and truth have met and they kissed and we talk about having the perfect blend of both. But we all need to examine ourselves and just say, do I have too strong of a sense of justice? Justice is a fine thing, but it needs to be balanced out because you will be judged without mercy who hath not shown mercy. 
And, and, and there are people, if, if you're in a crowd and you see something, even amongst Christian people, and you go, okay, that was a little over the top, you just know this brother over here is going to, hey, 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 you know, and you're going to hear about it later. Critical spirit, too strong of a sense of justice. God help us to watch that. They always see the fault. Look in Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1. You know, a, a Christian can have all the standards down. All those standards down pat. I mean, they can, they can be dressing right and listening to the right music and going to the right places and eschewing evil and crossing their T's and dotting their I's and doing all the right stuff. But if they have a critical spirit, it just stinks up everything. Look in Romans chapter 1 and in verse number 9. Paul says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Paul kept a right spirit as he served God. And as a result, God answered his prayers and blessed him in a great way. If we have a rotten spirit, we're going to quench the spirit of God. His, his hand will be shortened, his ear will be heavy, that he will not hear, all because of our critical spirit. You know, I didn't come up with this. I heard somebody say it years ago, and I've never forgotten it. The attitude with which we find fault is often worse than the fault that we find. Just the attitude. Well, you see, well, that's worse than what they did. The attitude with which we find fault is often worse than the fault we find. God help us to watch our own rotten attitude. If we have a rotten spirit, we're not even worshiping. You know what the Bible says in John 4.24? God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. That attitude, you say, well, it's such a little thing. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. When I went on deputation back in the fall of 1986, there was a, a deputy sheriff of the church who lived on a farm outside of Crookston. And he had kind of this... Uh, this Quonset or this outbuilding. And I needed a place to put my, my Subaru wagon. I had, I had owned this, this Subaru, and it was, at that time, the nicest car I'd ever had. And, and so I asked him, Brother, can I store that in, in that Quonset out there in your farm? He said, sure, no problem. My wife and I went on deputation for a few months. When we got back, I started the car and turned on the heat, and all of a sudden, all this grain started blowing out of the, the heater. Well, some mice had gotten in there. And one grain at a time had absolutely filled that whole area there. It wrecked the car. I'm telling you, that car was never the same. It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. And it's those little things that creep into our lives that strangle the power of God. We've talked about a few of them today. We'll pick up with this next time. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Puppet Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.